Hi, and welcome to Redefining Outbound, a podcast series for sales leaders. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Voigt, U.S. Enterprise Sales Manager. I'll be interviewing a range of forward-thinking sales leaders on how and why B2B buying behavior has changed. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Mark. So to kick us off, could you please introduce yourself for the listeners? Hey, Katie. Yeah, my name is Mark Casaglo. I am the CRO of Catalyst. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. So I'm super curious, what does redefining outbound mean to you? <laughs> well, first of all, it means is that traditional outbound ain't working anymore. So we better get, <laughs> we better, get better at that, first of all. Um, and then, uh, listen, I think that what it means is, you know, the outbound and strategies in general go through seasons and cycles. And we're going through a cycle right now where maybe outbound emailing isn't as effective as we're used to it being. So it's time to go look at what is working and make sure that we are moving off of strategies that aren't working and back onto strategies that are working. Okay, definitely appreciate you sharing that. So you mentioned that email, um, outbounding via email, like isn't working maybe as well as it used to. We're in a season, right, where it's just not as successful. What have you pivoted your team to do kind of in the interim? Yeah, so, well, first of all, we I think there's a way to optimize the email channel. So I haven't given up on it, but I do think that if you're going to do it the old way with like a personalized message that you may or may not have Uh, I don't think that you're going to have as much uh, effectiveness in the past. And let me explain that a little bit. So, uh, Katie, you tell me if you agree with this or not. People right now are more reluctant to meet because there's internal pressure not to spend more money on additional tools. People already feel like they've got enough tools. They need to get more benefit out of the ones that they have. And there's just overall, uh, uh, like people are so busy that since of all these rifts and everything that they just don't have time to do tool evaluations right now. Do you think those three things are true? I completely think those things are true. We were actually just discussing this yesterday internally and the importance of like vendor consolidation for a lot of our prospects. Even when like our data can outperform their current vendor tech stack, like their procurement teams have just said, no, we're absolutely not onboarding any new vendors for the next 12 months. You have to make do with what you have at the organization. So very hot topic for us right now. Right. And if you're a, a buyer at a company and you're getting that kind of feedback uh, regularly, then what you do is you're, there's a large uh, a reluctance to book a meeting because you kind of know where it's going to go. And so that reluctance, the way to overcome that reluctance is with more information, right? Like we need to help people understand the problem better and all that. But if you put more information in an email, people won't read it. But there's not enough information in the emails we're writing to get over the reluctance to meet, not to to meet. So we're in like this perfect definition of catch 22. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so I think what we have to do is figure out how do we solve that problem? I have I have a hypothesis around it that we're starting to test here at Catalyst, but I don't know if it I don't have, know if I have a solution yet. But that's definitely a reality of the situation. Yeah. So would you say this kind of like outbound motion is one of your biggest challenges right now? And if it's not, what is your biggest challenge right now? Yeah, outbound is one hundred percent my biggest challenge. Like pipeline coverage is is very difficult right now for the new business side. You have to figure out different ways to grow. I think uh, a better way to grow right now is through your customers and you know providing recurring impact and creating uh, you know recurring value for your customers. 
allows you to retain more and upgrade more or expand more. And, and I think that that's an easier growth vector right now, a more effective growth vector than typical outbound top of funnel improvements. Yeah, that's incredibly interesting. And obviously you want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, I recently read one of your posts around the future of AI and sales um, and it going really just beyond the basics. Um, so I would love to kind of hear from you, right? Like how are you leveraging AI, maybe both in the outbound motion um, as well as with it, maybe with expansion for your current client base right now? Yeah, listen, I think I'm I'm super nascent. I. I am not a, because of the difficulties of the email channel, most of the AI right now is built around email efficiency. I haven't decided to do any investment in that because I just don't think that it's the right time to invest in AI writing emails. How much more effective are they going to be? I don't think they're going to be that much more effective. So uh, the first AI purchase that I've made is around coaching calls. And so uh, there's a company that has been doing manual call coaching uh, for reps for four or five years. And they've just used all of that data to train their AI model to do specific sales call coaching uh, of every single call of every single rep. And to me, that's, that's kind of a revolutionary concept. You know, everybody wants to coach, everybody wants to coach more. But the problem is, is that it's just too time intensive a activity. You have to figure out a different way to do it. And I think that this is the first, uh, the first of the second wave of AI that's just gone beyond the like, well, let's just put chat GPT functionality into our app. This is, a, I think, a really strong application that is outside the normal realm of what people would expect with AI right now. Yeah, that's incredibly interesting, right? As a sales leader, right, I run our enterprise sales team here in the US. My time is so limited and my team is growing, which means I want to spend more time coaching, um, more time giving feedback, right, to enable all of our sellers to just be the best versions of themselves. Have you really leveraged this like AI coaching in a way that's really making you feel like you're optimizing your sales process? Yeah, so uh, I can't speak to the AI because we just purchased that. But I can speak to what the manual process do that the AI is supposed to do more effectively. And so I think that there's a couple things that when you do data analysis um, on a call that start to look at, if you do these behaviors in calls that progress forward in the deal cycle, you can start to really understand what are the important do's and do nots inside of a call. And I think uh, this company is called Replays. They used to do that manually and they would do the analysis and be like, okay, reps that do this in this part of the call, it's highly impactful on the call moving forward versus reps that don't do this. We don't see that much of a delta in what in their effectiveness. So it must not be as important. So the first thing is, is like scoring that call for what are the traits that are in common uh, that for opportunities that move forward. And then secondly is how well does the rep do against the most impactful areas of the call? And so again, I don't think other than a manager attending tons and tons of calls or listening to call recordings all day long, I don't understand how you would ever get that information. And so, and then there's a lot of personal bias and, you know, uh, there's a lot of, you know, how there's a wide range of expertise and opinion on stuff. So I don't think that you get that like non-biased data-driven approach. So uh, I think that 
the AI in this case is going to extend. I've done it when I've done it in the past manually. It's been for a short time on a short number of calls. This allows me to do it against all calls for all reps every single day. And so the data should be way more accurate. And so that's what I'm hoping to apply there is to be able to give a rep a very data-driven, non-biased, third-party view of how you are doing against the most important parts of the call that determine whether a deal moves forward or not. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. And I feel like for me, I have been doing a lot of like manual call coaching. So I definitely want to chat with you more about what you leveraged, uh, what tool you partnered with for the AI coaching. Um, But I'm super curious, right? When you've had this like one-on-one coaching, um, have you been able to, and specifically thinking about like process efficiency, right? Have you been able to identify maybe some areas where you thought, hey, this is our optimal process. To your point, these are the key moments in in a deal or an opportunity. Um, Have you been able to find some gaps maybe or some areas of opportunity for the organization to maybe shift what the process flow should be or maybe what good does look like? No, I don't, I don't think it's gotten there yet. And again, I'm just, I'm, I'm a nascent user. So I don't, I haven't applied it a lot, but like, I can't think of anything that, I mean, I know I haven't done anything with AI in that, that realm, but uh, yeah, I don't, I think that right now, the most important thing for a sales organization, especially as you're getting more and more reps, like if you have like under 10 reps, maybe not as important, but if you have 20, 25, 50, 100 reps, the biggest problem I think facing sales leadership is just the how uh, how unnormalized the data is. So if I have 10 reps that sell one way, 10 reps that sell another way, and 10 reps that sell a third way, when I aggregate all their information and see, oh, stage one to stage two conversion is really bad, that data isn't very telling because I have three groups of people doing it three different ways. I think it's, we would need to really more focus on like process standardization to get a standardized, normalized set of data that allows us to actually draw relevant insights out of it versus I have, you know, 12 unique sellers that all kind of do it a little bit differently. Now your data isn't really going to tell you very much because they're all, you know, moving things uh, from stage one to stage two at different points or not moving it at all and just moving it straight to close one. And you have all these different situations that really nullify the data. Yeah. And I think you hit on such a good point there, right? Which is how this kind of changes as your organization grows, right? And how many sellers you have and kind of prioritizing your time and what your role is. Um, You recently spoke about how the role of a leader changes kind of as a company grows and evolves. I'd love for you to expand more maybe on um, what those kind of roles look like, maybe more specifically around how we're going from kind of like the doctor to the architect to the communicator, Mm. for example. Yeah. So the doctor's job is to uh, diagnose. And what that means is they need to have a little bit of a higher altitude view and assess what's going on. Right. And so I would um, a doctor would be somebody that is downloading uh, data on their own and running pivot tables and like diagnosing. And you can do that at a certain level of company. Right. The architect's job is to take what the doctor's doing and automate it. And so, all right, now instead of downloading this report, looking over here, having this expertise, like I'm not going to architect a process that captures the data, reports back on it, and like gives you, it makes the job of the, of the, uh, the doctor way easier. 
right? And then the communicator's job is now to communicate across all the departments, all the different processes and operational things that the that go to market org is doing that uh, attach or are dependent on other areas of the company or that people need to know about so that there can be a single like operational rhythm and some connection there uh, other than just with the the sales and CS teams. So yeah, I think that the doctor is where a lot of data-driven people get stuck. The architect is where um, a lot of executives are. And then the communicator is uh, someone that's like a high-level, top-notch you know, executive that understands that you can't just architect stuff in a vacuum. Yeah, definitely appreciate the perspective on that. I'm also curious knowing, you know, the way things have shifted in the market. So uh, the first six months here at Cognizant, I was very heads down focused on hiring for my team. And it really, like we were very slow and intentional about hiring. I'm curious to hear your perspective. Um, I, I noticed that a lot of these roles, right, the doctor, the architect, and the communicator, there was like a hiring component, right, to bring on some of these experts onto the team. Um, have you seen any shifts maybe in the market in regards to being able to find these people and retain these people to help the, to help the organization move from kind of like that doctor shift to the architect shift to the communicator? Uh, I don't know. I think I've seen that there's more sales talent available now than there has been in the past. So I think you could equate that to some of that other talent being available. You could also argue that the companies that haven't let go of their people have the good talent that are doing this and the people that are available maybe weren't good at doing it. Uh, you know, that's not always the case. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't think that I've seen anything in the market that's changing anything. I just think that you have to be very diligent in deciding like where, what role are you playing? And then do you have people in the rows below you and the roles below you that are doing those jobs so that you can do the job that you're supposed to do? Yeah, couldn't agree with that more. And obviously, you know, you've positioned yourself kind of in this area where you're kind of speaking through um, some of the things that are important to you and like where you think uh, sales is going in general, right? And the importance of AI and sales processes. How have you kind of increased adoption amongst your team, right? To get them really bought in on everything it is that you believe in regards to um, AI and sales. Well, I mean, listen, if I could tell a rep, you can go to a place and see where an unbiased third party has rated you against the key parts of a call and you can understand what's going on in that part of the call. And if you're doing bad, here's a clip of you that uh, in an area where you could have done better. And then a, an example of a clip of a, someone doing it well, and all of that was served up automatically. That really changes what you can get from a rep because most reps crave more coaching. I think I've seen some statistics that say that most reps, the number one thing that they want from their leaders is coaching. Uh, but we just don't have enough time to do the kind of coaching that I think most people need. And it's really difficult to get that time in. And so I think that that's where, you know, if you understand that you want to be better, you need to be, get more coaching and AI can help you get more coaching. Now, you know, if you could find that the AI is inaccurate in the coaching and that could be a different issue, but I don't think you need a lot of buy-in for something like that. I think where you need buy-in is, is where when 
the AI is doing something for you that's customer facing or towards the customer. I think that that's where that's a little bit more uh, requires a little more trust than most reps are willing to give maybe. Yeah. So have, have you been approached by your team for leveraging AI tools for those things that are a little bit more customer facing? No, I haven't had anybody come to me about it, about that. Okay. So keeping it in house and you kind of alluded to that earlier, right? With, uh, around using AI for like email generation. Um, so that's something it sounds like you're keeping in house right now, making sure that your team's equipped to handle. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think, uh, I've tried to create like a really great email prompt and I just can't get enough, um, uh, consistently good emails from it that don't violate some rule. And, uh, if I got to do a prompt and then do another prompt and then do another prompt and then do a correction and then copy and paste it, I wonder if it was just easier for me to just write it. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's, that to me is where that stuff is at is like, by the time you prompt it, read it, edit it, do all the stuff, like it probably was easier just to write it in the first place. So, um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen the AI email stuff, uh, work in a way that would cause me to want to invest in it quite yet. I just, you know, it just seems like, um, are the emails going to perform that much better? I don't, I don't know if I agree. Now it's super cool to watch something, write an email that is like, whoa, this is actually pretty good. All right. But pretty good. Isn't going to cut it right now. So unless it's like blowing your socks off, then why, yeah. why are you dealing with Oh, completely agree. And I've seen way too many um, less than stellar AI written emails all over LinkedIn. I feel like as soon as somebody gets one that they know is written by AI, it's immediately on LinkedIn and people are poking holes in it. So definitely a little bit risky too. No doubt. Yeah. So I'm really curious um, about your time at Outreach. Um, specifically winning enterprise deals. Obviously, that is a big focus for me here at Cognizum. Um, but it seems like you really focused on winning deals from like a bottom-up approach. Um, is this something that you've applied at Catalyst? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we, I say we we would try, we would, we would run simultaneous strategies and we would go bottoms up and top down at the same time. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and I think that we do the same thing at Catalyst. Like, uh, uh, we're not quite as enterprise, uh, you know, high level, upper market enterprise as we were at, at uh, Outreach yet. So, but, you know, we were doing deals with some of the biggest companies in the world uh, at uh, at Outreach. And, you know, we had a, I'd say a maturing enterprise motion that did include going from bottoms up and top down at the same time. Like, listen, the users have the pain. Mm -hmm. Like typically the executives don't have the pain. The users have the pain. The executives just aren't getting a business result that they're on the hook for getting. And so you have to sometimes bring together the understanding of this is why you're not getting your business result met because of this pain. And then you also have to bring uh, to the pain people, hey, when you talk about your pain, make sure you phrase it not in just your preference, but like you're not achieving this business outcome. And when you get both of those groups talking each other's language, I think you get a lot of goodness that happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We love a good groundswell over here. So do you have any tips for sellers that maybe are interested in trying to build some groundswell in their deals to help with that bottoms up approach before they start tackling the top down as well? Yeah, I had a rep at Outreach that developed this um, Boolean search for LinkedIn Sales Navigator that was, you know, and a Boolean search is basically like, 
uh, for those that don't know, it's like building a, a, instead of just typing in, hey, I want to know if somebody ever worked at Cognizant. I can say, I want to know if somebody worked at Cognizant or at Outreach or at Catalyst or at here. And you can kind of string together a bunch of search criteria and do a single thing. And so she created that. We'd cut, we'd have reps cut and paste it in there. And what it was, was show us all of the SDRs or the reps that had used Outreach at our best customers. And then we would get that list and we'd reach out to them and be like, hey, listen, we noticed that you're not using Outreach here. You used it back there would you be willing to hop on the phone and give us some intel so we can get it in there? And people would be like, oh my God, I need outreach so bad. And they would just spill the beans. And then we would use that to approach the, the executives and be like, hey, these are some things that we're hearing from your team. And uh, that, that was super effective. Yeah, that's incredibly creative and definitely a tip that I will be deploying to my team um, as soon as we get off of this, which is very much welcome. Thank you. One of the other things that you mentioned, too, was just kind of coaching, um, coaching those that you're working with on how they should be explaining their problems internally. Can you uh, expand on that a little bit more? So you're asking me how to how to talk internally about problems that you're having? Yeah. Yeah, listen, I think that uh, when you're having difficulties internally, um, there's two things that you have to overcome. One is most people think that when you're talking about an internal problem, that you're talking in terms of qualitative anecdotal um, examples, and you're trying to grossly generalize something that may or may not be a data-driven thing. And then the second thing is, is can you get the data to overcome the anecdotal bias that people have? Yep. So I, I would say like for me, uh, when I've been most effective in my career about getting organizational change is I've done, I've looked at it like a term paper. And I would literally like sit down and write like a two or three page document. I had one that I wrote at Outreach that famously was 33 pages. I don't want to get into how that happened, but like, but uh, you know, what it does is it, it's an, it's a narrative that someone can read and that walks them through like the, the, the logist, the logic of your thinking and the data in a one place where they can digest it. Now we can talk about, are people willing to read documents like that or not? That's a, that's a good and interesting point, but like, I think most of us kind of do stuff off the cuff and we haven't really been thought out. And I think like, that's a great way to just sit down, organize your thoughts, put them in paper, and then make sure that you feel really prepared to talk about that stuff. Yeah. So the preparation piece, I think is always something that I really focus on, like with our team and the importance of preparing like with their uh, champions, right? When they're going in to make an ask. So we always coach on why it's so important to have these conversations with your champion so that they're able to articulate what they're going to say internally when they're trying to explain these are the pains that we're having. But something that's consistently coming up is the importance of knowing your numbers. So you've been speaking a lot about data, right? And the importance of data in making decisions and explaining pain points. Um, how would you maybe go about talking to an SDR team that's making an ask, right? That needs some sort of tool that has some sort of pain. How would you explain that to them on how they should maybe make that ask internally of their leadership? Yeah. So just, just had this happen. We just purchased a tool that I had no intentions of purchasing. Um, and when I found out the team was looking at it, my first reaction was like, I don't understand why we're doing this. 
And what they did is they said, listen, we feel like this is a, a, a an issue. So we want to take it on ourselves to prove it to you. What would we need to do to prove it to you? And when we looked at the numbers, we decided that, you know, my call connect rate was just not high enough. And if they could increase that call connect rate, that it unlocked a lot of pipe gen for us. And so what they did is they went out and proved that it could create more connects. And when that happened, uh, it made it the decision easy because the math was activated. And so like that, that's the the main thing I think in a, per, in a purchase is, is do, do you know what the executive cares about? In this case, what I care about is more pipe gen. Uh, do they understand, uh, does the executive understand what is preventing that from happening? In this case, I was educated through the process that our connect rate was the main bottleneck. And then they gave me, you know, very data-driven evidence that, that we could increase those connect rates. And so that all that together, like led to me purchasing something that I really had no intentions of purchasing. That's a really interesting perspective. And I think something that is top of mind, right, for most sellers. It's how can we get in front of the people that are actually making decisions? And it sounds like your team came to you um, pretty early, maybe, in their conversations with that potential product you were looking to purchase and said, hey, what would you need to see from this to be able to say yes? Is that right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, th th I think that they got a company to do a trial with them. And they started doing it and then they're like, Hey, we're thinking, we think we want to make this purchase. And I was like, well, I don't know. And then, then, you know, kind of the story then unfolded that we just went through, but yeah, I don't know if they let me know beforehand. I think they just were like, we need to figure this out. And it's very difficult to do our job the way that we are. I don't know if that's always the right way to do it, but it worked in this case. Yeah, I think it's always so interesting, too, to kind of look at how do decisions come to be, right? Because sometimes it's they're going to leadership, um, I think respective buyers are going to their leadership saying, hey, this is the problem. Here's what we're thinking about doing. They kind of get that blessing, right, to perform some sort of an evaluation. But to your point, sometimes it's, hey, there's a pain. Um, they get a call at the right time and they say, yeah, let's jump on a trial of a, a product and see if we can get enough that we can then take to leadership. Um, is there a preferred route that you have? as a CRO who's obviously making purchases? Is there kind of like a preferred method that you have for kind of evaluating a purchase? Do you have a preferred option there? Uh, no, for me, um, I just want to know what leading metric can this thing affect? And if it, and can it affect it enough to, to make the numbers work? That's literally what it is for me. I don't, I don't expect um, the parallel dialing solution I purchased to solve my, uh, you know, ability to acquire new ARR, but I do expect them to be able to help me make more dials and connect more and more connections. And if, if they can do that, then I can make the, the intuitive leap that it'll help ARR creation. Uh, but I don't, I don't need somebody to go all the way to the most lagging metric and tell me how much it's going to affect that. That, that doesn't really work for me. Yeah. So it's all about the numbers, right? And being able to drive that revenue and drive that pipeline. Um, are there any other ways um, that you have kind of been thinking about or any opportunities for additional areas where you can bring in AI to maybe help you drive some of those numbers in any of your go-to-market approaches? Um, any other thoughts you have on that regard? 
not just the coach. The, the coaching stuff is the first thing I'm dipping my toe into and seeing how that works. Uh, you know, I don't think you can change too many things at once. We have a bunch of other changes we're doing here. So to inject a whole bunch of AI into it, first of all, what that does is it muddies the water. You don't know what's actually making things work or not. You, you kind of need to isolate and try one thing at a time. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm trying with the coaching stuff and we'll, we'll go from there if that works out well. Yeah. So how do you plan on benchmarking if that is going well? What's your timeline or do you have like, like a clear date? Hey, this is what I'm going to evaluate if this has been successful. Yeah. So I think that the way that we're deploying it uh, is uh, our held meeting to qualified pipeline conversion rate. Uh, I'm looking for a increase in that conversion rate. Now, I don't think that that alone will make it the purchase worth it because we already do pretty good in that area. But the other thing I'm looking for is I need to shrink our deal time. And I, I am hypothesizing that if we do better discovery, which this platform should be able to tell us we can do, that we can shrink our deal time. So that's something else that I'm looking for uh, in this specific solution. Yeah. So did you run kind of like a benchmark on, hey, this is where our deal time is and this is our target by implementing uh, this new solution? Uh, I don't know if I've set a target, but uh, I know where the numbers are right now because we track all of that. Uh, but I don't know if I, um, uh, I don't know. I know what I need to see to renew, but I didn't think that I could run a, an evaluation and understand in the evaluation if I was going to get that rep. So you know, a little bit taking a leap of faith based on some uh, you know, common sense and some logical connections uh, because, you know, I, it's not fair for me to string, I don't think, to string out a vendor for months and months and months while they try to prove something to me that's like a long tail of a complex system versus, yeah. you know, can you do, can you do, I, does it make sense to me? Some purchase are just, does it make sense? And this makes sense to me. Yeah, that's super interesting perspective, right? Sometimes it's just very cut and dry. Um, so to wrap us up, what is one thing you'd ask fellow sales leaders to prioritize for the remainder of uh, remainder of this year for Q4? Yeah, if I'm talking to a sales leader right now, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is acknowledge the difficulties of the time. And I'm also going to suggest that the over-optimization in the last five years of top of funnel means that trying to figure out how to optimize top of funnel even more is just not going to have much juice left in the squeeze. Yep. And so my recommendation is to, how do we find another lemon instead of just squeezing the lemon that's already out of juice over and over and over again? And I think that le the new lemon is your customers. And uh, I think that there's a way to find more pipeline, better renewal rates and all that stuff with your customers. And that's where I, if I'm a sales leader, that's where I'm turning. I'm trying to figure out like, if I own expansions, how do I increase the number of expansions? If I don't have expansions, how do I get expansions? Because top of funnel acquisition right now is just a, that's just a tough business. Yeah. So big focus for you on um, juicing your, your current customer base. Definitely appreciate the share there. Well, Mark, I definitely appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Um, and really appreciate having you on. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much, Katie. Appreciate it.